What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. My name is Matt, as you all know, and along with my partners, Derek, Steve, and Justin, we at the Lifestyle Practice help dentists just like you accomplish your dreams through practice ownership. So a little bit of housekeeping to kick things off today. Thanks to everyone for the awesome interest in our TLP Mastermind group, our first ever edition of that, that Derek will be hosting starting here, I believe next month or the month after. Uh, There are 15 people in that group and that group is now closed. So we don't know if or when we're going to be doing another edition, but if you'd like to get on the wait list to be one of the first to know, go ahead and email me, matt at thelifestylepractice.com, and I'll get you added to the wait list for TLP Mastermind. Well, it's great to be back talking startups again with you all. Uh, Thanks if you've tuned into the first two episodes of this mini series that I've been hosting talking about how to build your very own dental practice. And today we're going to be focusing on the design of your practice as well as equipment and supply. Now, if you're not doing this right now, if you're in your own practice uh, at the moment or you're not considering doing a startup, I'd still listen to this or even just bookmark the episode. Now, there's plenty of dentists just like you listening to this who you, know, you might uh, build your own building at some point or um, you know, be changing spaces. And you're going to have to start to think about some of these things that doctors who are doing startups are thinking about when they're building their office from scratch. So wouldn't be a bad idea to bookmark this. So when we're talking about designing your practice, first off, th- the biggest thing that I recommend is that you start with your vision. Now, There are so many things that you can be thinking about when you're talking about your vision. Um, You can talk about how your office looks, how it smells, how it feels, all of those things. And we're not really going to dive into that here, but that's a huge part of the startup process. But after you've kind of ironed out those types of things, then that vision obviously includes how much space you need, how many operatories do you need. And that's going to depend on what you want to accomplish for me. I knew I wanted to have a multi-doctor practice when I started my practice. So I was looking for a slightly larger space. And for me, that was 2,400 square feet of of retail space. And I was able to build eight operatories into that space. For you, you may want to practice by yourself forever or a space like the one I just described might not be available to you. Uh, So maybe you're going to go with something smaller or you're you know, uh, you, you know, specific to you, how many operatories you'd like to have. Generally, what I like to see or what I think is perfect for a startup, uh, it varies based on your vision. But I think five is, is a really solid number. You can do a lot of dentistry out of five operatories. Uh, but it certainly doesn't hurt to have the, the flexibility and the availability to have more, uh, especially if you're looking at growing a, a hygiene practice over time or having the potential to work with multiple doctors in one space at one time. So let's jump right in. As I mentioned, I was able to design and fit eight operatories into 2,400 square feet of space. And if you've, if you've been working on a practice yourself or you've done it in the past, you know that it's a lot of operatories and not that much space. So how did I do this? How do you do this? Well, when designing your space, there are a few keys that are going to help allow you to 
fit as many operatories as is comfortable into the amount of space that you have. And I generally like to see that be around 300 square feet of space per operatory, which is exactly what I did in my, in my office. Uh, one of the few, one of the keys to, to doing that is making sure the operatory size is reasonable. I'm not saying they have to be small. I'm not saying they have to be, you know, crammed and, and tiny, but to make your op operatory the, a reasonable size, we don't want side cabinetry and we don't want side mounted x-rays in those operatories. That's not rocket science, but nowadays you look at, you know, pretty much any startup, we're not going to have side mounted x-rays. We're going to have mobile x-ray heads that uh, we store one or two in the lab. And then we transport those to the operatories when we need them. And that does help cut down on the, on the thickness of the walls that you need in between the operatories. And now I think most states, majority of states, you're good to go with those mobile x-ray heads these days, but uh, check with your specific state because it can vary. And to keep that, to, to kind of shoot for that 300 square feet of space per operatory number, generally we just want to keep the office from being a, a bloated design with too much wasted space. Ways that I see space wasted in bad floor plans that come across my desk tend to be through unnecessarily large waiting rooms, large doctor's offices. Um, you know, we, we don't need a massive office for you, the doctor. We want something comfortable. But the more you're sitting in your office throughout the day, the less you're doing dentistry. So we really don't need a whole lot of space for doctor's offices. Uh, to jump back to, you know, waiting rooms or lobbies, depending on how many operatories you have, that's how many chairs you need to have in the waiting room for people. But if you're running an efficient practice, rarely are you going to have more than a few people sitting and waiting for their appointments before you bring them back to, to the back office. So it's really not necessary to have these you know, massive front office spaces. Also, bathrooms are something I see in, in bloated floor plans. Uh, sometimes we just have too many bathrooms um, and it can take up a lot of space. Maybe in a bloated floor plan, you'll see a consult room that's out of place or too large. Some offices, myself included, honestly, love their consult rooms. We use ours a lot. And especially as our front office team has grown, it's become a good space to, to work out of and to discuss treatment in private with patients. Uh, but some offices I know, you know, hardly use it at all, and it just becomes a complete, complete waste of space. And then, like I mentioned before, operatories that are too wide or too long, hallways that are too wide or too long, and, and generally just too many hallways. We want things to flow and be efficient. It's almost like a, a game of bumper cars where things are kind of shifting back and forth to get everything just right so we can maximize how many operatories we have inside a space. And I think one of the, the most important things, if you are leasing a, a space of a certain size, getting as many operatories as you comfortably can in that space is important because that is going to be something as you grow, as you, as you continue on, that's going to make you more profitable. It's going to help increase your bottom line and you won't have as many regrets if you get down the road and say, gosh, I wish I had just one more op in this space, but I decided to make a, a you know, a huge office for myself and a huge bathroom for myself or whatever it is. Um, 
I, I've seen that happen a lot. And really, there's no way to improve on that. Hope that sometimes a, a space might be available next to your uh, your leased area, like a like another business that maybe went out of business where you can claim some of that space. Or you can repurpose a room in your office to become an operatory, but that's kind of messy. Really, the only other way is to go off and build a build a building of your own or find a new space to lease once your, your lease is up. So getting this right, right off the bat, just like choosing your location, like we talked about in a, a previous episode, is super, super important. So a question I get a lot is, how do I time the design of my space in a startup with the signing of my lease? Because we're not going to pay somebody to design our space when we don't have a, a lease secured for sure. And that's a great question and something that just kind of all has to happen at one time. And there are a lot of moving parts and, and this is a very busy period. But what generally can happen is you're getting through the process of negotiating a lease. You've signed a letter of intent with you know, a, a landlord and you're working through those details with a lawyer. If you're getting along the road there and it seems pretty clear that a deal is going to be made, then you can start to uh, kind of reach out to designers, architects, and then get that, get that space design moving. When it comes to who's designing the space, this is probably the most important thing that I'm going to say on this podcast today. Do not let an equipment manufacturer design your practice. That's Henry Schein, Patterson, et cetera, et cetera. Those companies are for equipment and supply, not designing your practice. I can't tell you how many designs I've seen from those companies. They'll offer to do it for free. This is not something you'll get done for free. A free design tends to be bloated. All of those bad things that we talked about before, those are all the things I see in those designs. And like I mentioned, it's so important to maximize your space and not have wasted space. So my recommendation is always to get a blocking diagram professionally done and have an architect finish out those the drawings based on that diagram. You can make a diagram of what you want your office to look like yourself if you think you're good at it and you and you have an idea of what you want that to look like. But I, I like sticking with a dental-specific company that has a good reputation for this type of design. There's a few that are, are pretty good. I'm happy to provide some recommendations if you want to shoot me an email, um, but I don't like to... I don't want this podcast to focus on specific vendors, more just want to talk about the process of, of doing what we're talking about. So once we've got our practice designed and we've avoided the pitfalls like we talked about earlier, I really like the idea of bidding this out to at least three contractors and contractors that do have medical dental experience. Uh, we don't want just your regular old contractor doing something like this because there's a good chance they can mess something up that someone who has specific in designing a dental practice already knows not to mess up. So that's one thing I really don't like uh, to cut corners on. But when you're reaching out to these three contractors, be ready to haggle and ask questions and scrimp and save as much as you can and really push them on what's necessary and what they're recommending as far as the finishes and 
the materials that they're using to build out your practice. And as a side note, I think if you're if you're not willing to have tricky conversations like that, like haggling or saying, hey, what can you do to get this quote down by X amount of dollars? I would say don't do a startup because that's just part of business is working with vendors and working with people in this way. And it's not a a bad thing. It's not a mean thing to be asking someone like a contractor how you can do something for less money. It's just so important to stay within your budget and keep things as affordable as possible when you're starting out. So when you decide on a bid, when you decide on a contractor that you want to go with, once again, be prepared to go line item by line item and evaluate what is really necessary and what can be cut or changed. Never ever let your contractor think that money is no object for you or you know you're a you're a dentist so they can just put whatever they want in there and you'll sign off on it i was very diligent with this when building my own practice and i am very diligent with the clients i work with on their startups when we're going through this process to to cut out anything unnecessary but it's pretty easy for things to to slip by you really have to to watch things like a hawk some of the things that I find in quotes from contractors that tend to be a bit inflated and just unnecessary are, you know, all the fixtures throughout the office. And that includes light fixtures, um, you know, finishes, molding, types of doors, uh, types of glass in those doors. It, you'd be amazed at the ways that uh, contractors can, can make things cost more. Because their goal is not necessarily to to make this cost as little as possible. One of the ways that I see this a lot is with countertops as well, uh, especially in bathrooms, countertops throughout the office, but bathrooms. I remember my practice specifically, and I see this all the time, uh, bathroom countertop about three feet wide by two feet deep, $3,000. And I remember seeing that and thinking to myself, $3,000 for a bathroom countertop in my dental practice that no one cares about. No one will notice because they're going to be using this before their appointment and they're going to be scared and not thinking about what the bathroom looks like. And what did we do? We, we cut that out. We installed some nice looking sinks and fixtures that were a 10th of the cost. And, and no one has commented on the, the fact that we don't have a $3,000 countertop in my bathroom in my practice. Um, bathrooms in general, are another thing that you know we'll see quotes on that can just vary wildly, and the the reason they can vary wildly is, you know, a lot of these contractors are just giving their kind of baseline recommendation without without your guidance. So that's where you kind of come into the picture to help make sure that you you keep things affordable. This is your your practice, so don't be afraid to do that. Cabinets are another big one. Cabinets can be done by your contractor. They can be done by, you know, someone that your contractor subs out or someone that you find locally. You can also design the cabinetry for throughout your office through IKEA. Now that's a polarizing topic. Um, some people love IKEA. I do. And some people hate it because they find it to be cheap. But I think in the in the areas of the office where we're using IKEA which for me is generally the the areas that aren't patient facing like in our lab and in our break room in uh, our private offices 
those are totally fine areas to have cheap cabinetry. We did, and I do like to see custom cabinetry and custom countertops a lot of the time in the patient facing areas. We want things to look nice. We don't want things to look like, you know, the, the cheapest Ikea uh, countertop that money can buy. But cabinetry can can be a crazy expense, especially if it's from a dental specific cabinetry company or a medical specific cabinet cabinetry company. You do not need and you should not get your cabinetry from a dental specific company. That's their cabinets. <laughs> That's all they are. But when I when it comes to design and when it comes to fixtures, the honestly the biggest cost of all, it really doesn't have to do with the fixtures. It has to do with not fitting in as many operatories as you can in that space. I just want to reiterate that again. It, the, the biggest cost of all in designing your practice would be to not make it an efficient design. And that costs you money for years and years and years and years because it's not designed efficiently. So at this point in the process, hopefully you've got your contractor picked out and you've got things rolling and they're, they're building your practice. And that can take anywhere from a couple months to half a year. Uh, ideally, we want that to be as quick as possible. But in today's day and age with uh, you know, construction costs and contractors being busy, 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 that can vary. But it's something that, you know, is up to you to keep them honest and keep them moving as much as you can. I tend to recommend at least checking in weekly or so. Uh, you're going to be excited at this point in the process. You're going to want to see the space kind of coming to life, but checking in weekly to make sure things are moving along and that, you know, we're constantly reiterating our timeline for getting this this space completed. So while that's happening, you're going to be thinking about equipment and supply in your in your office. So let's pivot a bit to talk about equipment and supply. So in a similar way to how we're designing the space and how we are doing the the design of our practice, you can build out I'm sorry, you can bid out your equipment and supply to major vendors like Henry Schein, Patterson, those types of companies, if you'd like. But I like the idea of doing a combination of either a, a dental buying group or also using websites like Net32 for the majority of your supplies and, and sometimes equipment as well. But for major equipment, doing a mixture of used and new or, or refurbished and new is a great way to go. So I get the question a lot. What does what does that mixture look like? What should I be buying new? What should I be buying used? And you know, my answer is, well, I, I can't give away all my secrets, <laughs> but I, I think there are a few things that are big items that are, are, this decision is very simple in my mind. For instance, chairs in the office. I love refurbished chairs. I love the chairs that I have in my office and I guide dentists to this way all the time and they're extremely happy as well. I don't want to make anybody mad. I hope there's not supply reps listening to this, but please do not purchase brand new ADEC chairs for your startup. Why do I say ADEC? Why do I say don't purchase brand new chairs? In your startup, we've talked about this before, minimizing risk, minimizing stress, minimizing that upfront cost is not only great for your psyche and your energy, but it's extremely important. 
because the smaller that your loan is and the smaller your monthly commitment there is, the more likely you can succeed. And in a startup, the main time that that you would fail or a startup would fail is if our upfront costs are way too high, our practice doesn't grow as fast as we need it to, and we can't cover our expenses for for a certain period of time until we run out of money. And so minimizing that type of stress and minimizing the chances that that happen is so important. And then as you go on, if you've intelligently built a practice with with regard to cost, you're going to be more profitable. That's just all there is to it. So instead of purchasing brand new top of the line chairs, there are plenty of other manufacturers out there where you can save thousands of dollars and still have a nice chair. I love refurbished Belmont chairs. Those happen to be my favorite. I have about half were new chairs um, in the office when I when I first built it, and then half are these refurbished Belmont chairs, and they're awesome. They are workhorses, and they can be had for a tenth of the cost of what a, a high-end chair might be brand new. And at the end of the day, it's a chair. I have patients who will comment actually on how comfy the, the Belmont chairs are, but it's a chair. They're getting, someone's getting dental work done in your chair. You know, they're going to be thinking about how gentle you are with them. They're going to be thinking about other things throughout their op- the office, not, ooh, I wish this chair had a massager or I wish this was an ADEC chair instead of whatever brand you end up deciding on. Um, so I hate to act, kind of throw ADEC under the bus, but those are the, that's, that's the high end chair that kind of comes to mind when we, when we think about where we can save when it comes to this. Another big thing that comes up when you're starting your, your practice will be your vacuum and compressor. Now, this is an area where we definitely don't want to go used. We definitely don't want to go refurbished. This is one of those things where if, if your compressor and your vac aren't working, or if they go down because you were a cheapskate and you bought something crappy, then you're not doing dentistry. And so we can't have that happen. We, we need to minimize the risk of that happening. And that's a good way to think about a lot of, lot of equipment supply in your office. If, if it's so essential that you have to have it and it has to be working or else you are SOL, then we better make sure that we've got something that's reliable or we've got a, an easy way to have a backup for that piece of equipment. So at this point, your office is being built. You're making equipment, uh, decisions on these things. You know, you're going to need to start thinking about supply as well. And for your supplies, you can do this kind of however you want. You could make a list yourself of everything that you need specifically or find one or get one from someone like me. But once again, do not just let a major supply company propose something to you or create a, a big order for you without any sort of direction. You're just going to waste a ton of money. You're probably going to end up with a lot of things that you don't end up using or you know you have too much of or things that expire. You can do this yourself. It's going to take a bit more time. Like I said, you can work with somebody like me or reach out to me for um, some recommendations on how to do this and how to craft your own your own list, but it will be worth it in the long run. The more something costs, when it comes to equipment or supply, the more I'd be looking at what's out there used or refurbished, et cetera, et cetera. I definitely am not recommending that you price compare cotton rolls. <laughs> That's not what I'm recommending. 
Um, we just want to be very, very intelligent with what we're spending. Buy nice or buy twice is a common saying when it comes to these kinds of things. And I suppose it applies, but really the philosophy in a startup is to buy equipment and supply as cheap as will get the job done without slowing you down or compromising patient care. And I would rather someone start with something more affordable when it comes to, you know, trying out a certain type of su supply or some sort of dental material. And if it doesn't work, well, then, then you can, you know, change, change course a bit. But like I said, get the job done. Don't compromise patient care, obviously, and don't slow yourself down. This is, this is a mindset to have not just at the beginning of practice, but throughout your practice. And this is the type of mindset that I think you need to have to have a extremely low overhead and extremely profitable practice. You just should not be spending money unless you have to. And I know I'll have people in my messages and, and you know some of you who, who may disagree and think I'm being a cheapskate, but I, I'm not. Trust me, I am not being a cheapskate and I'm not telling you to be a cheapskate. What I'm doing is advocating for spending intelligently at the beginning and throughout your practice with very little waste. Like I said, I don't want you price comparing cotton rolls. I want you getting the most value out of your time. But at the beginning stages of a startup, going through this, this process is kind of setting you up for, for the future and setting that mindset to, to have a very, very low overhead practice going forward. When it comes to coaching startup clients, I want there to be massive value in it for my clients, obviously. And sure, it's possible to start a practice without a coach. But where I come in is providing that experience from my own practice and all of the practice that I've worked with so that you don't make mistakes that cost you time and money. And with startups, there can be big mistakes that happen. Picking the wrong location, designing your office inefficiently, purchasing the wrong equipment, or heck, delaying your build out and rent comes due when you're not even open yet. Those are all potentially fatal mistakes that can happen. And some of them I've lived through myself and they're not fun. And I don't want you to experience those same types of things. Plus, as I've said it before on the pod, this is what I do all day and did for years while building my startup. When I'm not in practice myself, this is what I'm doing. And trust me, I've figured out what to buy, what not to buy, what works and, and what doesn't, so that hopefully you don't have to go through those that, that trial and error process. We have a specific database, or I have a specific database of vendors and equipment recommendations that we endorse at the Lifestyle Practice um, that we don't receive kickbacks from, or we, we have no reason to recommend these companies or these specific uh, vendors. We just do our best to negotiate deals, find the, the products and the companies that provide the most value to our clients, and get them on board, hopefully with some, some savings to save you time and money and stress. Because analysis paralysis is very real, and it's one of the biggest killers of, of time and energy when building a startup. It's taking a look at your to-do list on your desk, realizing there's a hundred things there and there's 50 different ways to accomplish each thing on that list and just not knowing what the heck to do. And that's tough. And, and quite honestly, that's where we come in when we're helping clients at TLP. 
So I hope you found this episode helpful. I hope you're finding the mini series helpful if you're thinking about starting or or you know growing a practice of your own from scratch. If you have any questions for me, I, I love getting questions. It's so much fun to get questions and help. Uh, please email me at matt at thelifestylepractice.com or even just to give some feedback on the episodes. I, that's great too. Uh, if you if you want to, you can reach out to Derek, Steve, or Justin at thelifestylepractice.com as well. As you all know, we work with clients in a number of different ways. We've got our online TLP Academy. We've got our mastermind, which is currently closed, uh, but you can get on the wait list if you want to email me. Or we we obviously work with clients through one-on-one coaching. For more information on what we do and how we do it, you can visit us at thelifestylepractice.com. Next episode in our startup mini-series, we're going to be talking about marketing and some strategies to grow your practice before it even opens. So stay tuned. Very excited about that episode. But until next time, cheers. I'll talk to you soon.